Okay, if you have a Bible with you, you're going to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. Today, verses 9 through 11. Nehemiah 1, 9 through 11. But... If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Will you pray with me? Lord, one more time, we come and we ask, not as a ritual, Lord, but pleading for our spiritual growth, health, that your word would nourish us, challenge us, confront us, build us up. We need it. We come not from a place of confidence, Lord. We come from a place of need. We pray your spirits work and help among us. May these words be life to our souls, growth for our minds, actionable for our hearts. We love you, Lord. Help us, we pray, during this time, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're just joining, uh, this is the fourth of four sermons about Nehemiah chapter 1. I wanted to get into Nehemiah 1, so it would be an excellent place for us to spend some time Uh, coming back into public worship. So uh, began this series on June the 7th. Uh, Took a break, of course, last week with Pastor Brandon, our special guest. Today uh, we'll finish and then we'll transition. But uh, I put a little chart up here uh, that you're going to see. And just a quick reminder of where we've been. Week one, we looked at the first four verses. And it was Nehemiah reacting. He's reacting to bad news. He's reacting to God. He didn't react uh, for a platform or for to give a speech. He, he reacted to God. He was overwhelmed. He was overcome. He wept and he fasted for days and days. And his heart was set right in that, in that time of worship and, and, and brought low. Uh, second, uh, and I won't say much about this, was trust God's character. I've got a whole point on the outline today. We're going to go back a little bit. Verse 5, the great character of God. Uh, The third thing that we saw Nehemiah do in a time of crisis as his heart is orienting toward God was to repent and lament. He turned away. He had sin in his own life, his family's house. And then he confessed. He knew that the people were guilty. He knew the whole reason they were in exile and struggling to come back from exile was because of their past sins. And he, he just got with God in this amazing moment and poured out his soul and repented of, of those sins. And so today, as we close this out, our, our, our city, our nation, our globe is in, in crisis. How will our heart be? We can take courage that God would have us, each one of us, to courageously pursue God. 
How can we do that? We sang this morning about the word of God. Both of our earlier scripture readings in our sermon today direct us to the word of God. And so the very first thing uh, you see on your outline today is that we'll remember his word. This will bring us a little bit backward. Uh, I wanted to uh, start in verse 8. Remember the word. It'll bring us forward to verse 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah is appealing to God. Would you remember your word? The word of God is powerful. Look here, uh, Genesis chapter 1. You're going to see the first three verses. And I bolded at the bottom, at the very beginning of creation. How did it come about? God spoke it into being. Amazing. Praise the Lord. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And all throughout Genesis 1, you see God speaking, and you see the power. And so it's no surprise to us in Nehemiah 1 that Nehemiah would plead with God based on his word. Know that God's word, it comes with structure. And structure involves discipline. And please know, in crisis, as we seek to orient our hearts to God in crisis... That God can work in many different ways, but we don't want to miss the spirit of understanding God's word and attaching our hearts to who he is. There's a lot of ways that we can invest our energy in this day and age. God calls for our hearts we want to know accurately what is happening. Happening. This reminded me of, of Jeremiah right before the exile and the, the 70 years that they were away. And it's been about 70 years since then in Nehemiah's timeline of where we're picking up the story. But in those 140 years, right at the end of that, Jeremiah was present. He was prophesying, this is what's going to happen. All of you listen. They didn't listen. They tried to, to, to kill him. They tried to persecute him. And then they tried to get everybody just to believe that Jeremiah was wrong. No, nothing bad's going to happen. It's all going to be be fine. It's going to be roses and rainbows and unicorns. But it wasn't. All right? Roses and rainbows and unicorns wouldn't work for them. In crisis, they don't generally work. We want to get into God's word. We want to see, God, what are you doing? And so take a look at the survey of what's happening around us in our world. One example that I was led to this week, just to challenge our thinking a little bit. I like sports. Some people are like, oh no, is there going to be college sports this fall? There's going to be college football. Now, I was a college athlete, and so I value college sports. I'm not trying to degrade it, but, but look at our educational institutions, especially the public ones. Hasn't a lot of what has come out of them in the way of thinking been completely in the face of God? Is it beyond us at this point to think and align our hearts and minds and say God might just be working in a way to knock down a little bit people who have arrogantly turned young minds away from him? Oh no, the budgets won't be as big. Whatever will we do? The income from the football won't be there. Whatever will we do? Is it possible that God could be working and stirring in a way? This is what I want to encourage you to connect your heart to how God is moving, how he might be working. It doesn't all have to be negative. There can be positive open doors. We're going to get to those. We have to remember God in his word. We want to connect there. 
I can't speak with certainty about God's purposes, but we can speak certainly about who God is. And if there's anything in that prophetic sense that I have in me to say to you today, it's to know God's word, know it accurately, be able to look at the patterns of things that go on and apply them to our lives and to seek that God would be at work, drawing our hearts closer to him. Please don't start anywhere else with your day-to-day energy. Start with God. Say, I want to connect with you, God. We see that in Nehemiah. I'm going to give you a few other examples today. All right, I got to get moving. That's okay. <laughs> All right, the second point. Remember his character. Did the whole sermon on verse 5, and I've got the verse up here. I'm not going to go back and repeat that whole sermon. Don't have nightmares. All right, or a bad flashback here. There's verse 5 for you, and I bold it out again. Look at, look at God's character, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. So here's the question. If the people were punished and kicked out of the land for 70 years, and then now another 70 years has gone by and they've made some progress, but they're continuing to stumble, wouldn't that just be about right? Because they sinned against God and got what they deserved. Right? What happens if you are young and you eat a cookie that you're not supposed to eat? You get in a jar and you have one. What happens? Well, in the moment, you're like, this cookie is really good. Right? You're just mowing it. Nobody's looking. You're happy. You got a little chocolate dripping down your face. Life's good for men. And maybe if you have any conscience at all, maybe you have another one. I don't know. But if you, have another, if you have any conscience at all, at some point, it's going to sit in that you disobeyed. You, you were told not to eat those, especially that time of night. <laughs> but you did it anyway. You kind of start to feel, oh, no. You feel that judgment. You feel like, oh, no, God is, uh, or my parents are going to find out. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be found out. And then at some point, what do you do? You hope that if you're found out, there's a way that this can be made right. If we isolate God's character to the mad and angry God who kicked the people out of the land we would have about half of his character right when it comes to making things just with his people. If you've ever felt completely unworthy of God's love, congratulations, you're correct. In ourselves and by our efforts, we are unworthy of God's love. But God works in us. His character is to make things right with us. He does that work. Friends, it is incredible and it is amazing. And so, no, we're not worthy of it, but because he works, because he makes the offer, because he sent Jesus to us, we can, we can enter into the promises of faith. That's his character. That's what Nehemiah is relying on. He's banking on the promises given to Moses. Remember that character. This is, God, this is who you are. If you return to me and keep my commandments, he's still remembering the promises to Moses, the people, if they would stray God, remember your promise that you told them that if they turned back to you, that you would accept them. That's, that's what Nehemiah pleads. We want to plead that character of God in, in crisis. He works. He counts us worthy. Look at verse 9. If you return to me, that hope of returning. And then verse 10. The word there, redeemed in power by your strong hand. That is who God is. Our redemption is so awesome He wants us. He wants to have our hearts. And so if you've strayed, if you have been off during this time, don't wait another moment. Turn back to God. Do it now. That's his character. 
Right, we're asking God, we're going to him. Uh, the third thing we're going to see is we're going to see Nehemiah ask specifically for God's attention. Look back at verse 6. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray. And then in verse 11, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Who in here ever try to butter up their parents? Right? Need to ask for something? Hoping they're going to respond. Okay, saw a lot of hands on that one. Hoping they're going to respond. Hoping they're going to give you what you want. What, how do you do that? Hey, Dad, remember that day when you blew it and you were a real jerk to everybody? You start there? No. <laughs> you don't start there. You start, hey, you're the greatest dad. I, I, I have all these other friends and they have dads and none of them are as good as you. Right? That's how you do it. You go and you say, you want your dad's ear, you want your mom's ear, you want them to listen, you want them to be attentive. That's what's happening here with Nehemiah. He acknowledges that there's been difficulty, but in in this process of wanting to act on this bad news that he gets in crisis, his heart is remembering the goodness of God as well. This is what desperation does. It goes to God and it says, I don't know what's happening right now, but I remember who God is. And we were talking about this a little bit Wednesday night, and it came out of my mouth that the bigger your memory, the bigger your faith. The more we remember the great works of God in the past, the more it can encourage us in the present because we know that he can act. I love reading about Hannah. I have a few verses about her here I want you to see on the screen. Actually, one verse, uh, 1.11. She's an amazing woman of faith. What does she do when she's desperate? She goes to God. Her rival is needling her because she doesn't have a a kid. She's making her life miserable. And so she went before God and she wept and she wept and she felt worthless because children were everything in the identity of a woman in those times. She kept pressing God. She kept seeking and looking and asking, what what happened here? Oh, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget... This is that pleading spirit. Oh, God, I'm in crisis. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how to explain this. Please, will you help? Please, will you work? It's this spirit, just like Nehemiah's. Let God, let your ear be attentive. Please, will you hear this? Sometimes we feel bad when we pray that way. Like we're just at our wit's end and we're desperate and we have nothing else to bring. Well, let me encourage you. Sometimes that's right where God wants us. And that's right where he can use us the most. Have you felt helpless at all over the last few months? Oh my goodness, everything is out of control. The economy's in the tank. The virus is going crazy. All these issues and unrest and everything. You feel completely out of control. You ever felt desperate? I have. I've cried tears. I'm not ashamed to admit that. God, will you work? Will you do it? I feel helpless right now. I know a lot of people do. God, hear our prayers. It's a great place to be as we approach God for how he would have us to move forward. And here's where we're going to shift. Here's where we're going to see the positive. If if we take this situation that Nehemiah 
is in and we compare it to where we are, we can feel desperate before God. We can feel like our sin has completely disqualified us from any relationship with God. Satan wants us to feel lousy and worthless and no good and like God could never love us. That's Satan's plan. But as we see here, we feel worthless and we're not just crying out to any God that we think that will listen. We go to the God with the way, the only way, his son, Jesus Christ. Nehemiah didn't worship to a bunch of gods. He went to the one true God. And in reminding him about the hope of return and restoration and redemption and the things that Nehemiah puts in his prayer that are based on God's word and promise, we know that redemption is possible. And so have confidence today that God can forgive your sin and mine. That we can, we can be here in this room and we can go from this place and we can live lives that are emboldened by hope because he's given us a way, the only way, to put our hearts right with Jesus who came and who died in our place and who suffered our penalty. If we've ever felt desperate, ever felt worthless, we can go to Jesus just like Nehemiah went to God, just like Hannah did. But I want you to consider the nature of that faith, because the way Nehemiah ends this prayer, uh, last point today, is to challenge you to consider your desire for obedience and success. I want you to consider this. Nehemiah is in a spot. Now remember that he is not in Jerusalem. He has received news that the exiles that have returned to Jerusalem are about another couple of generations in, and things aren't going well, and that's what leads to his reaction. The rest of Nehemiah is worth your read. He is a man of action and his faith informs his action, and that's great. But he's, he's uh, in a great spot. He's in Persia. He's with the government. He's got a great position. He's, it's posh. It's warm. It's the wintertime. It even tells us the month in the very beginning of this. And so he's in a great place. This bad news could have come to him, and he could have kicked his feet up and said, Have fun in Jerusalem. It's real nice. Here in the month of Chislev in Susa. It's great. Persian government's great. They got some great food. He could say, I'm comfortable. My needs are taken care of. He didn't do that. His heart identified with God's plans. His heart identified with God's purposes. And so for him to respond and for him to lower himself, it was difficult. God was calling him out of a place of relative comfort and into a place where it's difficult. This reflects the message of Jesus. Jesus left the comforts and the perfection of heaven to come to this earth. For over 30 years, Jesus walked and was a part of this sin-infested world. God himself on this planet left the comfort to, to dive into this world and for three years he ministered in a way that everybody would know that he was God and what the true character of God really was. But it was difficult. People hated him. And it, this also reflects Jesus' call to obedience. He doesn't call people to himself and to say, hey, just raise your hand and say a prayer and everything's going to be all fine. Uh, he calls his disciples to, to leave what they're doing. He says, uh, you're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow me. Count the cost of obedience. You know that following God is not easy. All of these things we can see in Nehemiah chapter 1. So questions for us. Do we really want to hear from God? 
Do we really trust his timing in situations? Are we willing to obey on God's terms? Really, what is obedience if it's on our terms? It's our own God. We've made up some other God. What if the Israelites had sought on their own terms? Well, at times they did. They tried to make their own terms with God, and it didn't work out for them. Nehemiah doesn't show us that example. He wants to obey God on his terms. We can't crave the comfort of what we knew. We have to be ready to walk into times of unknown. If any people in our world, in this day and age of constant crisis and chaos, are ready to walk into the unknown, it should be people who've committed their lives wholesale to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus did the same thing. He walked a path that showed he was willing to come and get into difficult situations. He led in that way. He led to his suffering and death on a cross. He showed us the power of God after he was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead. We may not experience the power of God until after we suffer. That's the biblical message. So if if we're walking a path of suffering right now, we should be ready and willing to walk into the unknown. We should realize that it's hard. Now, that doesn't mean that you buy your seven-year-old grandson the fox's book of martyrs for Christmas. All right? You keep it at the level. We know that not everybody's accustomed to that kind of language all the time. But I don't want to cheat you out of the joy of obedience. We can obey. And we can find joy. And friends, it's going to be a challenge. But I want you to be encouraged that we can walk the path as God strengthens our faith. We can take our insecurities and our uncertainties and we can trade them in for boldness and obedience. Just like Nehemiah did and just like our Savior Jesus did. He promised us one of the last words he said on this earth, the sentences is, I will be with you to the end of the age. So be comforted, be emboldened, have courage that when we go to God, in crisis, the heart of God in crisis, it goes to God and it asks for help, but it realizes that the steps forward may not be simple, may not be easy. I'm going to challenge in a couple of ways as we go to prayer today. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus, today is your day, friend. Take a step of faith. Commit your life to the one who, who lived and died, God in the flesh, to Uh, to save our souls from hell forever, to forgive us of our sins, to to take that guilt and shame and to replace it with peace and joy in our lives. Take that step of faith today. Let me encourage you, don't wait another minute. But for the believer walking through these difficult times, I want to challenge you as we're praying today. What is God stirring in you, in us as believers? It's going to be a a way forward in this world to continue to obey, to continue to be an encouragement to people around us and to shine the light of Jesus. We want to pray that we would have the same spirit of Nehemiah, ready to leave the comfort and ready to be uncomfortable for obedience to Jesus, our Savior. All right, let's go together and we'll pray for a few moments before we sing.